Heavenly Father, Lord, we're so honored to be bowing our heads here together as a body, just in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Lord, we just ask that you would take me, Lord, right now and just, just empty me of myself. Fill me with your Holy Spirit that your words may speak forth in truth and in boldness. Lord, you've promised us that where two or three are gathered together in your name, there you are in the midst of them. So, Lord, we just ask that your Holy Spirit be moving, touching hearts, and preparing hearts to, to receive your words in this message. Lord, we're so excited to hear from you, and we just ask for your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I'm going to read through the, the text, you guys. Um, I'll read through it first. We're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 11. Um, open up to there if you can, if you have your Bibles with you. Second uh, Peter is before First John, after Hebrews, towards the end of the New Testament. Starting with verse 3. His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. That through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason. Giving all diligence. Add to your faith virtue. To virtue knowledge. To knowledge self-control. To self-control perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As we begin tearing these verses apart and and going to understand it, Peter, guided by the Holy Spirit, has penned down these verses as so that the readers will understand what the depth and the magnitude of the blessings are, where they come from, how they get it, and what we do with them. What do we do with those blessings? How do we grow in those blessings? How do we use these things for the glory of him who paid the price ultimately on the cross? At the beginning, his divine power has given to us all things. His divine power. We're talking about the God of the universe, the God that created all things. The God of heaven, the God of earth. The one who makes the sun shine. The one who gave us life. The one who gives us air to breathe. The one who keeps the whole universe in motion. The one who knows our inner hearts. 
the one who knows our thoughts. It's that divine power that Peter's talking about here has given to us all things. Jesus Christ is the source of all sufficiency and all perseverance. He is the one we go to for all things. Paul wrote in Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verse 3, uh, as a description of, of uh, again, the all-encompassing um, power that he's talking about giving to us, not only in the life hereafter, but in the life right now. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Every spiritual blessing. All that has been given to us is what he's saying. His divine power has given to us all things. Some of the verses I found to just kind of back this up, you guys, as we go through how sufficient is he and what do we look at? What does the Bible say about him being perfect and complete and everything we need in this life? In 2 Corinthians, it says he is our sufficiency. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. He is sufficient for creation. Colossians says all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. He is sufficient for salvation. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He's sufficient for sanctification, which is kind of what we're going to be talking about in here. Um, In Ephesians chapter 5, he says that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. He's sufficient for our glorification. Romans chapter 8 says, Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. He's sufficient for all wisdom and knowledge. Um, Again, in Colossians, it says, Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He's sufficient for all comfort. 2 Corinthians 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. He's sufficient for all peace. In Philippians, it says, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. He's sufficient for our need. Uh, In Philippians, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He's sufficient for our weakness. In 2 Corinthians, he says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. He is everything. And what he's saying, what Peter's saying in these verses, that his divine power, all these sufficiencies, are made available to you. It says he's a given, he's, um, his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life, and godliness uh, pertain to life. Um, not only now, 
are, are, are not only in the, in the hereafter, but also now, also in this life. He's given all things that pertain to life and godliness. Um, flipping over to 1 Peter, just back at just a couple pages. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3, 4, and 5. I'll kind of explain to you uh, at least what the Lord has led me to learn and understand um, as far as him giving all things and giving us the power to maintain our walk here in this life. Verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Verse 5, Who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So not only, you guys, has he reserved in heaven the inheritance for us, but he's also keeping us here on this earth, preparing us for that inheritance that he's set aside for us. It's a two-way caring. Um, He keeps us here and now. He grants to us and gives us the perseverance to make it through life. He's aware of all circumstances that that we run across. He's given us all things, it says, all those sufficiencies to get through every single one of those blacknesses of the chaoses of night where we don't know where the walls are, we don't know where the floor is. He's given us the ability to do that, and he's kept us and promised that he will keep us for that that inheritance that he's reserved for us in heaven. Um, just, Just a really cool set of verses to understand that he's taken care of both ends. Um, like a, a rich parent who takes care of the inheritance that he's preparing for his kids, has it set aside, has the investments put together and all that kind of stuff, but that isn't any good unless he trains his kids as they grow up and keeps them on the right path to where they're responsible when they get of age to handle the inheritance. That's what God's doing in our lives. That's what Jesus does in our lives. So he takes care of all those things. His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Well, now godliness, he's speaking of, in the Greek, it's eusebia. It means to live reverently, loyally, and obediently toward God. It means to be devoted, a sincere worshiper. Um, Godliness is a fruit of the regenerated man, um, as we are being conformed into the image of his son, like it talks about in Romans chapter 8. It's, it's that fruit that you see that points us towards the, that, that path to spiritual maturity. Okay? So he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Through the knowledge of him. So all this power in the divine realm, all this power that pertains to everything in life, that pertains to everything in godliness. All this power is only available through knowing him who called us. Okay? Um, Only in Jesus Christ. And it's not just a knowledge that's a factual knowledge um, and understanding um, who he is and understanding the story of Jesus Christ. We're talking about a relational knowledge with him. We're talking about knowing him and him knowing you. 
It's one of those things that, again, comes with a, a, a sharing of everything in life with him. It's a personal sharing of your life, of your thoughts, of your desires, of your troubles, of your problems. It's a personal sharing with him that develops that relationship and that of him knowing you and you knowing him. Um, it's a true relationship built in intimacy. In John chapter 10, which, which is the one that I like to go to when it comes to talking about a relationship with him. John chapter 10 and verses 3, 4, and 5. Jesus said, To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Do you hear his voice? As we kind of take a look and check on this road, our salvation to give us confidence in the assurance that we are. Do you hear his voice? He says he calls his own sheep by name. Does he know your name? Have you trusted him? Have you built a relationship in him to where he knows you? Through your time spent with him in the word, through your time in prayer and communing with him, through your obedience in in his calling of you. Verse 4, And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Do you know his voice? Have you heard his voice? Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Verse 14 of chapter 10 says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. Verse 28, 27 and 28. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. You know, when we talk about that relationship, that knowledge, that, and again, we're not talking book learning here. We're talking about a relational knowing of him and him knowing us. Um, I know Kevin had talked about this in his message, gosh, a few months back, uh, five, six months ago maybe, where we were going through Matthew chapter 7. And one of the interesting things that that the Lord brings up as far as how important it is for, for him to know you versus us to know him is verse 21, 22, and 23 of chapter 7. And it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast demons out in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I never knew you. You know, we've talked about this before, I know, in our our small men's group on Tuesday mornings. And how do you build a relationship with somebody? Let's let's take a look at the human level, okay? For us that are are walking in this life on on this earth, following him. When we develop a relationship amongst each other, it's built on trust. Um, in the military, those people that had fought in battle, some of the friends that they developed in, the, in, in war were some of the friends they kept for a lifetime. And why is that? Well, because they got to a point that they couldn't rely on themselves anymore. They had to rely on somebody else and put their total true faith in somebody else to help carry them through. That's trust. That's the beginning, the beginning of building a relationship. That's what Jesus wants to do in our lives. As we know him, 
What's he, what he wants is for when we reach um, chaotic places, okay? Right now we're in, the, in an economic times that's tough, and it's tough on all of us. Um, what he wants to know is, do you trust him? Are you willing to continue to walk forward day by day, not knowing where the bottom is, not knowing where the path is? It's like the lights are turned off and you're in a room and you don't know where the door's at. But do you trust him? Do you continue to move? Do you continue to put one foot before the other? Do you continue to walk knowing that it's from him that you trust and allow him to work in that? That's that building of a relationship, okay? As you step out in faith for that and you see him work for his glory in the midst of your circumstances, that builds faith. That builds faith. You know, I keep thinking about Peter when he was in the boat. And all those guys were scared to death when they saw Jesus walk across the water, right? And, and Peter calls out and he says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out in the water to follow you. And Jesus said just one word. He said, come. Now, Paul, or Peter, to his credit, climbed out of the boat and with his eyes focused perfectly on Jesus Christ, started walking on the water. That's what Jesus is calling us to do. We don't need to know the circumstances. We don't need to be in control of everything of our lives. We need to be surrendered to him and allow his power and his glory to work in the midst of our circumstances. It's an amazing picture of, of faith that Peter uh, uh, did in just stepping out and just walking by the one command. You know, and we're asked to do that in our lives day by day. Um, Get back to the text here. So through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Um, he called us. And the only one that could have called us is the one that paid the, pri- paid the price through his glory and virtue on the cross. Died and gave his all for us. He's the one that has been given all authority to place that call on our hearts to pick up our cross and follow him. Okay, he's the only one. I was trying to look for a, a definition or a, an explanation of uh, the calling. You know, how, does, how do you explain that by, by in words? You know, and we know we're talking about the effectual call to salvation, right? Um, the, the, the best thing I could find, you guys, was a description that says, the supernatural touching of the heart by Christ, leading us to surrender our entire life and will to Jesus as Lord and Savior of our eternal souls from the penalty of our sinfulness. Okay? It's that call, that touching of the heart. Um, It's through the knowing of Him who called us by His glory and virtue. And His glory, the glory of Jesus Christ, was probably most uh, clearly revealed at the cross and His death and resurrection. Okay, that's the glory. That's his glory and his glory only that can give us that kind, of, uh, that kind of calling. His virtue. He's the only one that had perfect, perfect righteousness. Perfect righteousness. And again, the one that, that he can say, you know, you need to deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. And he can say that with authority. I mean, remember in Matthew chapter 28, I think it's verse 16, where he said, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He's the only one that has the authority to call. 
Um, so what it's saying is his divine power is given to us all things, all things that we need to walk through this life, not only here and now, but in the hereafter. But it only comes through knowing him, through knowing Jesus Christ. It's his glory and his virtue that has called us into being positioned to, to, uh, uh, to use that, that power. Verse 4, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. Those great and precious promises. You know, there's, there's promises throughout the Bible. In fact, I, I've read from one author that, that there's, in, as far as individual promises, there's, there's over 7,000 individual promises from God to us in the Bible itself. Now, we know that a lot of them are repeated promises and, and some of that kind of stuff. But, but what does that tell us? Uh, he's given to us everything. We need to just get in it and understand it and know it and place our faith in him. He created all of us anyway. He's got the power. He's already, everything that, that, that is happening to us now, he's already prepared us for it. He's already equipped us for it. He's already enabled us to do that. You know? Um, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, uh, it, it's kind of one that I always look at when we talk about the, the majesty and the magnitude of, of all of his promises. Uh, see where it says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly, above all that we ask or think. We can't even comprehend the greatness of the promises he's laid before us. We can't comprehend the power. We can't comprehend him hardly at all with this natural human mind. You know, he is just um, too far in glory for us to comprehend. That through these, okay, that through these promises, you may be partakers of the divine nature. Okay, now what's Peter talking about when he's talking about you can be partakers of the divine nature? Um, some of the other authors of the New Testament have used different wordage for this. What he's saying, and here's some of the words, okay, that, that some of the other writers in the New Testament have used for this uh, partaking of the divine nature. Born again. Born of God. Born from above, baptized in the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, being in Christ, home of the Trinity. We're talking about the filling of the Holy Spirit in us, enabling us to partake in his divine power that comes through knowing Jesus Christ. Nothing of value can be done in the kingdom without this filling. And this filling of the Holy Spirit is the only way that we can do some of the things and some of the commandments that Jesus Christ has placed on us. How do we position ourselves for this blessing? How do we position ourselves? We, we know it's of him. We know it's his power. How do we position ourselves to, to partake in this wonderful experience and blessing of him working through us in our lives. Well, the, the first thing that I know has to happen first, according to scripture, is we've got to be completely surrendered of our will, which gets in the way with all of us, of our desires, of our fears, of our responsibilities, of our self-sufficiency to him. Um, we've got to be entirely, unconditionally surrendered to him. 
And, and I got to tell you guys, I am one of those kind of guys, and, and there's some other members in the body here like me, but I grew up in the church, okay? Starting at the age of six or something, probably before that, I had been going church. I'd been going through the motions, okay? I had been, um, um, I, I knew Jesus. I knew his story. I knew what he did for me. Um, I considered myself in that group that was a follower of Jesus Christ, okay? But I never surrendered to him till about three years ago, three and a half years ago, you know, here in this church. Um, I, I thought I was doing all the right thing, but I wanted to maintain control of certain aspects of my life, and I was afraid to let them go, and I don't know why. You know, I mean, eh, I don't know why. But I know that I heard a message at this church. Uh, gosh, it was in the spring of 07. And I heard a message that brought up again surrender. Brought up to what, how we're supposed to. What we're, what, you know, that we're supposed to be fully surrendered. And, and I remember driving home with my wife, you guys. And I don't think I said anything. It takes about 15 minutes to get to our house from here. And I don't think I said a thing. And I'm thinking to myself the whole time going, why? You know, at this point, I'm 46 years old. I've been around the church for 40 years. Yeah, I had some times away from the church and some of that kind of stuff. And, you know, but I'd been around the Lord for 40 years. Why had I never done that? What has stopped me from doing that? And I thought about that all the way home. And when I got home, I went in and changed my clothes and I went to a place where I could lock myself in a room and I hit my knees and I just, I just cried out to the Lord from my heart and said, Lord, I don't know how to do this. You have planted a desire in my heart to surrender fully to you. I understand what you did in my life. I understand what you did. I understand um, what you've suffered and given for me. And that you want my life. You want my heart. You know, that you love me. And I haven't let go. And my pride, I haven't let go. And Lord, I don't know how. I don't know how. But I want to surrender you here and now, in this place, before you and you alone. Um, at that point in time, he started taking me down that path. And I know you guys can relate. A lot of you guys can. He started taking me down that path. Um, that slowly made me understand what I had to get rid of. I wasn't one of those lightning bolt flash born again people. I know that happens and I'm, it's so awesome. Okay, mine took a little while. It, it was a time of a couple weeks. It was a time of a couple months. I don't know. But all I know is he grabbed my heart when he felt my heart speaking to him saying, I want it. I want it. And he took that. He doesn't have to hear your words. He doesn't have to hear the right thing. He doesn't have to know you've got to go through a certain motion and say a certain prayer. He doesn't care. He sees your heart. Anyway, surrender, ultimate, absolute, unconditional surrender is what's got to be there to do what he commands us to do, to walk filled with the Holy Spirit, to stay filled with the Holy Spirit, to continue to live this life as a follower of Christ, empowered to do his will through your life. Because we don't have the power to do that on our own. We know that. You know, the second thing we need to do is we need to be cleansed and forgiven. 
you know, Peter, Peter's such a cool guy to study. You know, he didn't quite understand all things when he was walking with the Lord Jesus Christ in his humanity, right? He didn't understand it, but he had a heart. He tried hard. He was an arrogant, stubborn man um, that apparently was, was a man's man. I mean, he was tough. He was strong. He was, you know, one of those kind of macho guys. And he didn't get things real easily. Okay? He was a little thick-headed like I am, I guess, right? Um, in chapter 13 of the book of John, when Christ was, was uh, uh, with, his, with his apostles in the upper room at his last supper, and Christ picked, a, um, uh, picked up a bowl, filled it with water, and started washing all the disciples' feet. And I know there's different inflections of this act, okay? But I want to kind of narrow it down on this one thing that he, that he taught Peter. Because it's important to us if we're going to align ourselves and position ourselves to a place that we can walk in his power. Filled or being partakers, like Peter said in, in, in Second Peter, being partakers of the divine nature, okay? In chapter 13 of John, I'm going to start up with verse 6 so I can explain to you guys what I mean here. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part in me. Pay attention to that, guys. That's really, really important. It was really important to Peter. He explained, I mean, Jesus explained a little bit further after, you know, this. But Simon Peter said to him, Lord, he was excited by this point. He's like, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. You know, he's going, man, you know, if you're going to wash me, if you're going to cleanse me, and if I can't be part of you, I want it all. I want it all. And the Lord's going, well, okay, Peter, you know, relax. Slow down a little bit. Um, you know, I, I know you're excited, but listen, you have been cleansed. He says, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. You know, you have been cleansed by, at this point it was advanced, but you will be cleansed by the blood of the cross that I'm going to shed for you. The problem is you live in a sinful world. You live in a world full of, full of rottenness. You live in a world full of decay. And even though you've crawled out of the cleansing bath, you've got to walk a couple of blocks across town to your, to your place where you're working, where you're living, and you will have dirt on you. You cannot stay clean in this world. We've got to ask for that cleansing. Jesus Christ is saying, look, Peter, you need to understand, I don't need to bathe you. I just need to clean you and wash your feet. We've got to stay cleansed. We've got to stay forgiven as we want to partake in this divine nature, as we want to be filled with that Holy Spirit. Okay, guys? Um... The, the one thing that, that we need to understand that's a real kind of a cliche verse that I want to just kind of give a little bit more depth to, we always lean on 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, right? I mean, a lot of us know that, that have been around the church for a while. Um, what it says is if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness, right? Well, as you look and study that verse... You know, understand, what he's saying is that, look, if you confess your sins, the sins you know, the sins that you know about that are on your mind, 
Okay, because he's not talking about a whole long time between you once last asked, right? He's talking about as if it was a habitual thing, kind of going through life, making sure that you're staying and walking in the light in true confession with him. He says, if you confess your sins, those known sins, you are, or I am faithful and just to forgive you of those known sins. But I'm going to take it further than that. I'm not only going to forgive you of those sins that you've asked me, but I'm going to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. I'm going to reach to the depth of your soul, and I'm going to pull out every single thing that you don't even remember, that you may not even know about. And I'm going to cleanse you from the inside out, and I'm going to make sure that the Holy Spirit goes into a holy vessel. Okay? He's not going to dwell in a vessel that isn't cleansed. We need to remember that as we position ourselves for that kind of blessing. Okay? Thirdly, we, need, we must ask. We need to ask for that filling. You know, in Luke chapter 11, uh, verse 13, you know, a lot of us, we, we know that verse, but I'm going to flip to it real fast. If I can do it fast. 11 verse 13, it says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? This, this uh, divine power that Peter's talking about here in 2 Peter chapter 1, that divine nature that we are given to us as a blessing and a gift to walk through this life can only, become, can only come one way. To enter off that verse, or to end off that verse, it says that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Having escaped the corruption. The corruption refers to the decaying, the decomposing, moral rottenness that's in this world through sin. Okay, we have escaped that being partakers of his divine nature. What is lust? When it says, um, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. You know, in the English language, we tend to kind of think it has a sexual connotation. You know, something like that. Well, it's much more than that, you guys. As you look at this thing, lust is more... Um, that, that, that position in the heart that says, I want. It says, um, I will. It's that same kind of prideful um, beginning that Satan had when he was kicked out of heaven in Isaiah chapter 14 or Ezekiel chapter 28 when he said, I will be as great as the Almighty. Right? It's the same thing. That's lust. But also, verse 5, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence. Giving all diligence. But also for this very reason. So what's he talking about, you guys? I mean, he's given um, the blessings. He's explained the blessings. But also for this very reason. So what he's saying is, you know, because of all these wonderful, overwhelming, amazing promises, okay, that he's laid down before us. We can't stop there. What are you saying? But for this very reason, 
We cannot be, because of these blessings, we cannot be indifferent. We cannot be self-sufficient. We cannot be self-satisfied. We need to press on. Now that we know these things, as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to press on. You know, um, Paul in Philippians talks about that as he presses in his life. And he explains from, from his perspective in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. It's just kind of one of my favorite things as far as pressing in. He says, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So for this very reason, for all these blessings that that Peter is saying that you've been blessed with, for this very reason, giving all diligence. The Christian life is not to be lived to the honor of God without effort. It takes work. It takes effort. It takes pressing in. It takes diligence. You know, um, it means maximum effort. Jesus Christ talked about it when, uh, in Luke chapter 13, uh, verse 24, he talks about strive to enter through the narrow gate. Strive. Work. I've given it to you, okay? But it doesn't mean you can lay it out back on the couch now, you know, and, and just roll off into it. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't work that way. It needs, it needs diligence. It needs striving. It needs maximum effort. Leave nothing on the table. It's time to roll up the spiritual sleeves and go to work. That's what Peter's saying here, okay? Um, there was a song... Uh, that I remember the lyrics to that just kind of struck me as far as diligence and effort in pressing forward in the things of Christ. Um, and the lyrics, like I said, have stuck with me. It says, I don't want to go through the motions. I don't want to go one more day. Without your all-consuming passion inside of me. I don't want to live my whole life asking What if I had given everything instead of going through the motions? Okay, so I mean, he's calling us, you guys, to, with extreme diligence, to go through these particular steps. Now we're going to get into the landmarks of that spiritual road to maturity so we know we're there, so we know what to look for, so we know we're on the right path, so we know know uh, that we're going down the right way. He says, for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith. He's taken for granted that the readers of this particular epistle already have faith. They've already been there. Uh, Faith is a gift. It says in Ephesians um, 2, verse 8 and 9, uh, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Right? It's a gift. It's a gift. Faith is the gift that's brought people to this place. Faith in the Greek is is pisteo. And pisteo is the same exact word in the Greek that trust is. um, That that belief is. That faith is. All those three are the same Greek word. And it means more, you guys, than just an understanding of a fact. Uh, The description I found of that faith, uh, as far as a description for the word, 
It says it means adherence to, committal to, faith in, reliance upon, trust in. It involves not only the consent of the mind, but the act of the heart and will of the subject. It means more than that. So to faith add virtue. Virtue means not only the desire to do the right, morally correct thing. It means the, the energy to perform that thing. Uh, it means the God-given ability, you know, to do a heroic deed, to do the right thing. But it means doing it. It doesn't mean just, just a desire to do it. It doesn't mean just something that's, that's out there. It more has to do with the action itself. Okay, so add to your faith virtue. To virtue, knowledge. Uh, Knowledge is a full understanding, correct insight, truth comprehended and properly applied. It involves diligent study and pursuit of the truth of God's word. Knowledge is important. You know, we're to abide in his word. There's so many verses that back that up, you guys. You know, so many places. Um... In First Timothy, I'll just flip to a couple because I don't want to take all the time to do this, and we're running kind of low on time. But it says in verse three and four of First Timothy chapter two, "For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth." There's so many. So, because of your faith, and because of virtue, wanting to do and desiring and having the ability to do what's right. And with the knowledge to guide you into do what's right. Next, we add to that self-control. Self-control in Peter's day uh, was a word used of, uh, to athletes, referring to uh, self-restraint or, or self-discipline. What it's saying there is with these things, with virtue, guided by knowledge, you now have the ability to take control of fleshly desires, bodily desires, passions, the things of the flesh. Now those things um, are your servants, not masters of you. Okay, that's self-control. That's also self-control, one of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. Okay, Peter understood this. To self-control, perseverance. Perseverance means to press on. You know, the patient continuance in doing good. We, we in this church, tend to use the, the um, verse Acts 2.42, like we were talking about our Wednesday night services. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They continued steadfastly. Okay, you guys, that's perseverance. So add to... Add to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness. We talked about that a little bit. To godliness, brotherly love. Uh, Brotherly affection. You know, mutual sacrifice for one another. And to add to brotherly love, or brotherly kindness, love. In our body, we talk a lot about love, and we understand love. The majority of us that have been coming here for a while, we know what love is. You know? But what, what Peter is, is saying in addition to this, 
to, to a description of what love is, is that now as being a partaker of the divine nature, being filled with his Holy Spirit, now you have the ability to do what Jesus Christ was asking back in Matthew chapter 5, in his Sermon on the Mount, where he said we must love our enemies. Our physical, personal lives, we can't do that. We don't have the power to do that. There is no way you can love your enemies if they're truly an enemy without the filling of the Holy Spirit and the empowering that comes along with being partakers of that divine nature. Okay? So he's talking about that kind of love. That kind of love. It says, For these things are yours and abound. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Barren speaks of being inactive or useless or ineffective. You will not be barren. You will not be unfruitful. You will be productive. As these qualities are, in, are, are increasing in the life of the believer, you start manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. People start seeing differences in you, and you may not see it yourself, but people start, and you may, but people will start seeing a difference. You will become that new man, that regenerated man. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. This was a verse that I struggled with a little bit, you guys, and, and, and what he's saying in here is that if you don't have these things, if you're not pressing into these things, then there comes with it a lack of self-confidence and a lack of assurance of your salvation. What he's saying here is they become short-sighted, even to, excuse me, even to blindness. Um, he has a problem understanding and discerning his own spiritual condition. So what happens? A lack of confidence comes in with his professing of his faith. Um, doubt and fear starts creeping in. Because he has no pathway to know that he's on. And that's why he was saying he has forgotten that he was cleansed of his old sins. He starts doubting. If you want confidence in your walk, press in. Read the word. See what you need to go on to. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Make your call and election sure. Even though God is sure who his elect are, who he has set aside and called for salvation, when we walk away from the path, we forget it ourselves. Okay, we lose that self-confidence. We lose that boldness. And you can see that. When you walk on that path, the spiritual fruit starts showing itself and your boldness and your professing of your faith before others when God has set somebody in front of you and says, look, now it's time to open your mouth. You have boldness. Okay? For if you do these things, you will never stumble. As these graces are pursued, the, the, the believer will be self-assured as to his salvation. He will understand that his life is useful, it's fruitful, there's fruit, He's able to do some of the things that he couldn't do on his own by and through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Uh, verse 10 of, of John chapter 10, the Lord says, 
I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. That's the abundant life that he's promised us. For if you do these things, it will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For the believer who lives a fruitful and faithful life, not only are you guaranteed the blessings of heaven and the heavenly places, but you're given that, that power and that presence in this life right now. David was probably the best at, at putting this thing together and understanding the power of the Lord in his walk. David, the king of Israel, in Psalm chapter 27, verse 4, one of my favorite verses of that kind of stuff is to how to kind of work your way through. He says, One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. He's not just talking about the life hereafter. He says, All the days of my life. All the days of his life, he wants to dwell in that throne room of God with access to his power, with access to to his, his fellowship, with access to support him in the things that he's called to do that he knows he doesn't have the power to do them in his own fleshly body. To behold the beauty of the Lord speaks of, of worship. He wants to bow down his knees to the Lord and just speak of his majesty and and, and the greatness of the almighty creator of all, of all things. And to inquire in his temple. He just wants to be able to ask him things. You know, he just wants to be able to ask him things. I have one last section to read you guys. I just want to read you guys the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and the magnitude and the majesty that he has, and I found this in one of my commentary books back near Revelations, but it has to do with what we're, t- what we're talking about today. It says, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. One of the great tenets of Scripture is the claim that Jesus Christ is completely sufficient for all matters. All matters of life and godliness. He's sufficient for creation, salvation, sanctification, glorification, So pure is he that there's no blemish, stain, spot of sin, defilement, lying, deception, corruption, error, or imperfection. So complete is he that there is no other God beside him. He is the only begotten Son. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in him, and the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily in him. He is heir of all things. He created all things, and all things were made by him, through him, and for him. He upholds all things by the word of his power. He is the firstborn of all creation. He is the exact representation of God. He is the only mediator between God and man. He is the sun that enlightens, the physician that heals, the wall of fire that defends, the friend that comforts, the pearl that enriches, the ark that supports, the rock to sustain under the heaviest of pressures. He is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty on high. He is better than angels, better than Moses, better than Aaron, better than Joshua, better than Melchizedek, better than all the prophets, greater than Satan, and stronger than death. He has no beginning and no end. He is the spotless Lamb of God. He is our peace. He is our hope. He is our life. He is the living and true way. 
He is the strength of Israel. He is the root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star. He is faithful and true. He is the author and finisher of our faith. He is the captain of our salvation. He is the champion. He is the elect one. He is the apostle and high priest of our confession. He is the righteous servant. He is the Lord of hosts, the Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth. He is the man of sorrows. He is the light. He is the son of man. He is the vine. He is the bread of life. He is the door. He is the Lord. He is the prophet, priest, and king. He is our Sabbath rest. He is our righteousness. He is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. He is the chief shepherd. He is our Lord God of hosts. He is the Lord of nations, the lion of Judah. The living word, the rock of salvation, the eternal spirit. He is the ancient of days, creator and comforter, Messiah. And he is the great I am. As we close in prayer, Stuart, you guys want to come up and Heavenly Father, what a wonderful, glorious, almighty God you are. Faithful and true, giver of life, lover of our souls. Lord, we thank you so much for the path that you've laid before us. For the power to walk that path, for the enabling and the equipping for anything that gets in our way, that we need to struggle through on that path. We thank you, Lord, for the landmarks that we can see on the road, on that way, that we may see and test and discern where we are, that we might never fall off to the left hand or to the right hand. Lord, I just pray that you allow us to hear that voice behind us that says this is the way. Walk in it. Lord, you're gracious and you're true. You are what gives us full completion in this life and the life hereafter. We need nothing other than you. If there's anything we keep searching for in our lives, that we have holes in our soul that we need to fill and we're looking for Activities, or we're looking for a person or people to fill that hole. Lord, we, we can stop looking now, for you are it. You are our sufficiency. God, I just ask that everyone in this room be touched by your Holy Spirit, that we might understand the magnitude of your power, the access to your power, And what he calls us to do, what you call us to do, Lord, with that power. God, may you just take us out of our comfort zone. May you cause us to reach and stretch and find those spiritual gifts that you've blessed each and every one with, that we may use them for your glory and your praise. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name. Amen.